Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Couples with great marriages know one simple truth. The best marriages are made up of many everyday decisions that say, I love you, rather than those that say, I love me. When we put the other person first, even in little ways, we find true fulfillment. Today's guests are Lisa and Matt Jacobson. They've been married for over two decades and have eight children. Today, they're using their own experience to help others in their marriages. We'll hear some tips and advice from the Jacobsons coming up on Connections. Matt and Lisa Jacobson are the authors of two new books called 100 Ways to Love Your Husband and 100 Ways to Love Your Wife. Now, the two of you have been together for over two decades, and you're the parents of eight children. We want to know how you do it and how you maintain a happy marriage through all this. Okay. So, well, listen... The, the reason we're happily married is because God wrote the book, and we want to do it his way. And so, uh, you know, if you pursue a life that is based on the, the perspective that I'm going to get up and I'm going to make decisions today that say, I love you, rather than decisions that say, I love me, you're off to a good start. So we just purposed early on in our marriage that we wanted to focus on and pursue what it would take to have a wonderful marriage. And we didn't want it to fall by the wayside, as we'd seen so many. And one of the things we've learned is marriage doesn't happen by itself. A good marriage doesn't happen by itself. I think a lot of people have the perspective that the marriage they have is just happening to them. But really, it's the marriage that you built. It's what you're building. And so our focus early on was to, uh, we knew that we had to take responsibility for building our marriage, and we wanted to do it God's way. And I think as a mom, it's so easy to get sucked into the life of your children, so that's all you're doing, that's all you're thinking about, focusing on. But really, one of the most loving things you can do for your children is to have that strong, solid, loving marriage. And I think it gives your kids a sense of security. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great yeah. example to them on how to love another person, and how to communicate and work through hard things. So it's not just about la-la land. It's, you know, it's about doing the hard work of a relationship and to model that for them and help them see how how to do that, how to speak kindly, how to work through disagreements even is a really loving thing to do. So early on with our kids, they knew that dad and mom, they're going to spend time together. There's times where they're just going to have to put their needs aside, not needs, but wants probably, more wants aside so that mom and dad could love each other. Even things like date night, you know, you, we'd be pulling out of the driveway and our kids like, are you leaving us? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, and those little ones, they're watching, right? Like ours, our oldest is almost three years old now and I'm just realizing how much she's absorbing already just by watching my wife and I. Absolutely. You bet. Absolutely. They're little sponges, aren't they? And the thing is, is that it's just really important for us to remember we're discipling those kids. Even when we're not actively discipling them, we are training them. We're discipling them for how they should live, how they should think, and how they should respond and react uh, to to others. And so that's why it's so important to have a healthy marriage, because we're in the process of discipleship all the time when those little kids come along. And now that some of our kids are in their 20s, and, you know, they, they've come back home, and they'll, they'll, they'll tell us, they said, you know what? It was so helpful. Now we've been out in the world and been around other people. We're just so thankful that you and mom chose to love each other. And and they said, you know, it had more of a impact and influence on us than we could have realized when we were younger even. So it's, it was very encouraging to hear that because, you know, you do have these moments of 
we look at each other like, are we sure we're doing the right thing? Yeah. Moving home with our children or, you know, that you always second guess yourself, but it's very encouraging. Yeah. So for those going into marriage for the first time, what is some advice that you have for them to help keep their relationship strong? Well, here's the thing. Um, so God gave us a book called Bible, and, you know, he's actually got this all figured out. And the way that book starts is with two naked people in a garden. So God is all, God is all about having a wonderful, close, open, no shadows, a wonderful relationship. And then you look over to the Song of Songs, and you remove the euphemistic references to fruit, and you've got a solid R rating. You know, So listen, yeah. God is all about romantic love. He's all about a warm, rich, wonderful relationship. The world has nothing to teach a young person who's going into marriage. The world has nothing to teach you about how to have a wonderful marriage and a wonderful relationship. And I love, I mean, I'm talking, that was all about the physical side of it, uh, all joking aside, but I love what Lisa taught, you know, t- tell them a little bit about uh, the, this whole business of how we often take part of the Bible to one another's and we apply it to those people out there rather than to marriage. So I actually remember thinking, I wish God had spoken more about marriage and what that's supposed to look like. I mean, there definitely are some verses, but not as much as I think there should have been. And then I had this aha moment. I realized how many verses in the Bible talk about one anothering, you know, that be tenderhearted, kind, forgiving Mm. one another. And, and there are dozens and dozens of those kinds of verses. And I realized, Oh, wait a minute. That's not just for those people out there. That's not just for, you know, the women in my Bible study or, you know, the neighbors next door, that's, that's going to start right here in this relationship. And for me, that was a real, uh, you know, game changer in terms of my focus and thinking, okay, I got, I want to apply kindness to this relationship and I want to offer grace in to this man, not just to those people, you know, in the wider circle of my community. What would you say would be your number one piece of advice for those entering marriage for the first time? So if you're getting married, and, and you're probably looking around and you're seeing a lot of shipwreck in relationship. Well, that's not inevitable, and you don't have to have an acrimonious, difficult first five years of marriage to get it right. If you want to have an awesome marriage, God is sitting there saying, I have got a wonderful marriage ready for you. You just have to walk according to the word. You've got to do it my way. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't challenging moments, because really walking according to the word means that somebody has to die, and that's our flesh, right? Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me, and the cross is the instrument of the death of the flesh. And so that's what has to happen in a marriage, but if you choose that path early on, you're not going to have a marriage like you see around you. You're going to have what I like to call a normal Christian marriage. I once said at a wedding, just as a blessing over a couple, uh, I wish for you a normal Christian marriage biblical marriage and the guy looked at me he didn't know me very well. he looked at me kind of fishy eyed going wait a minute that sounds like a curse <laughs> uh, because of because of what we see commonly around us but what we see commonly around us is not normal biblical relationship it's just what's common because we've chosen so often to walk in our flesh you can have an amazing relationship as a young couple you don't have to be a victim uh, of of what you see around you you can have a normal christian marriage Go to the Word, humble yourself, and walk according to the Word. And by the way, when was the last time you had an argument with a humble person? Kind of hard to do. <laughs> and, so, and, and, and so, yeah, say, you know, if there's acrimony in a relationship, 
then it's because two people are prideful. And I didn't invent that idea. It comes from Proverbs uh, 13.10, I think it is, or 10.13. Ah, I think it's 10.13. And it says, from pride comes contention. So if you want to know what's happening when two people are arguing, it's they're being prideful. So how do we argue well with one another then? Because it will happen once in a while. Our pride will rise up in a relationship and we'll start to argue. How do we do that as a husband and wife? Well, a few things. We we set we try to set our policies ahead of time so that when these moments come up, there's a few things that we've chosen to do, and that is, first of all, we try not to discuss things in the moment of emotional intensity because then you're just, you know, your temper's flaring, your emotions are running high, and you're not really having the kind of conversation you want to have. So we'll even agree, like, okay, we know we need to talk about this. We're going to work this through, but let's just step back a little bit and you know, get control of our emotions. That might be minutes later. That might be hours later, even a day later, you know. So, but that's okay. We're choosing to love one another, and we know we've got something to work through. The other thing we try to do is not to accuse the other person. You know how you do, you did this, or instead we're trying to say things like, when you did this, this is how you made me feel. Or, you know, so always going back to your perspective, but giving the other person a chance to, you know, not that you're attacking them, but giving them a chance to either explain or maybe even see that the effect they're having on you. And then another one is um, we tend to, when we get in that kind of argument, where we want to start stacking. So we start bringing in, and then there was this, and there was that, and the other person goes, oh, yeah, well, then there was that moment. Well, then you've got this big, you know, big yarn ball of offenses rather than sticking to that one incident and keeping it there. And so, um, so all those things help you to work through something fairly and that might both have strong personalities mm-hmm. and so we're not exactly pushovers and um but this has really helped us to be able to work through something and i think the, the you know the other thing we do is we'll remind each other remember you love me or <laughs> remember yeah. i love you like yeah. oh yeah that's right okay let's try it again absolutely nice. arguments can turn our spouse for a moment into the enemy we just have to remember that we're not enemies Right. Uh, we're, we're, we're friends and we love each other and we just have this disagreement that we're going to work through. But it's really important to, you know, if we believe wrong, we'll never live strong. And so we've got to believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says contention is pride. God hates pride. And we've got to remember that, you know, what we're doing is we're sinning when we let our blood get up and, and start, you know, being acrimonious with each other. It's not okay. We have to back away from that behavior. We have to take charge of that behavior. And we're not weak. This isn't happening to us. It's a choice we're making in the moment. And so we have to make a choice to put down our flesh, as Paul says. I put my, I put my body under daily, Paul says. And so we've got to do the same thing and uh, not get comfortable with those sinful behaviors that are so destructive. What about those marriages where it feels like it's all falling apart and it really can't be saved? Do you believe that there are some circumstances where marriage cannot be helped or that where it cannot be saved? Or do you think that all marriages can, can be fixed? There are definitely marriages that can't be saved, but not because the marriage can't be saved, but because the people won't yield their hearts to what God is is calling them to do. So every marriage that yields, when you have a couple that yields their heart, it doesn't matter how much water or what water has, or what log jam has gone under the bridge, it absolutely can be saved. The Lord didn't come back and redeem us mostly, okay? 
it's a total redemption that the Lord brought to us, and it absolutely can be saved. He can save, I, I like one old, old phrase, I, know, I don't know who said it, but he can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And so it doesn't matter where your marriage is, it looks black. I understand. You're looking down into the abyss, you're going, how can I ever climb out of this? But the fact is, is that God is a redeemer, and if two couples will yield their hearts, they absolutely will find redemption. You know, we, we actually get this question on Faithful Life Podcast from time to time, uh, when somebody will write in and they'll tell us about these impossible circumstances. But we have seen such beautiful redemption uh, where two couples have yielded themselves. And I've seen the same thing. I'm also a marriage coach. I, I coach uh, couples uh, around the country. In fact, there's a couple of people in Canada that I coach as well. Um, and for your listeners, we're from Oregon. But, uh, uh, but I do have a couple of Canadian clients as well. And the thing is that we have seen such beautiful redemption where a couple will yield their hearts. So on the one hand, can every marriage be saved? Yes, it can, but it requires two people who are willing to humble themselves. And the, the, the fascinating and maybe challenging thing about uh, an egregious offense, when the other party does humble themselves, the party that committed the egregious offense humbles themselves, comes and asks for, for, for forgiveness. The irony of, of, of Christian forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is that it's always the wounded party that has to do the forgiving. Isn't that something? And that's a challenge uh, for us a lot of the time. But uh, it's the wounded party that has to do the forgiving. In the situations where there is uh, one person that's willing to change but the other is not, how do we convince that other person to change and to change their thoughts? Well, obviously you can't change the other person, but um, we do believe in the power of prayer and praying and just asking God to change their heart, change their mind, and not feeling like that you're helpless, just like throwing up a prayer, but really believing that, because that is also something we've seen over and over again, just God transforming the other person. And and not to, not to let yourself believe that you are helpless, because you can still do the right thing in that situation. You can still choose to love the, that other person. And... And those quiet steps of love can actually have a huge impact. Um, not, you know, doesn't change everything, doesn't always um, have the results that we're hoping for. But it is, it is definitely a good thing to, um, for yourself to choose the right thing. I think a lot of times we tell ourselves that, you know, my personal holiness can only reach a certain level if the other person does the right thing. And that's never the case. You you can walk in holiness regardless of another person. In fact, this situation is identified, I think, by in First Peter, uh, where uh, where the the the, the uh, epistles talks about the circumstance um, of an unbelieving spouse. And, oh, in First Corinthians, actually, uh, of an unbelieving spouse, and and you can still stay with that person. It's, it's in both places, actually. You can still stay with that person. And you can, I mean, so that's, that's an extreme circumstance, not to, uh, to Christians where one is willing to move on and go forward and one isn't. But even in a situation of an unbelieving spouse, you can still walk in holiness. You can still do the right thing. And the, the Bible says, you, you know, you, you've got the opportunity to win that person over with 
godly, chaste uh, uh, behavior and, and the way that you interact with, with that person. And, you know, one thing is uh, we tend to think if we talk, you know, louder and, and, and more intently, we can uh, convince the, the, uh, uh, the person to listen to us. It's best sometimes just to choose a holy life and let God do the changes. The book's called 100 Ways to Love Your Husband Wife. Was it hard to come up with a list of 100 things? Or did you have a list like, well, here's 100 things you could do for me, honey? <laughs> Actually, so both those books, 100 Ways to Love Your Husband, which I wrote, and then 100 Ways to Love Your Wife, which Matt wrote, came literally out of our own marriage. So we had been married for about uh, 25 years, and Matt and I were sitting in a cafe, enjoying a cup of coffee together, holding hands. And it was just one of those sweet moments where you are enjoying the fruit of your investment and all those years of working together and working through things. And, you know, I looked at it and I said, you know, it's funny that so much of what we're enjoying right now is really that has been built on those little things that we've done. I mean, there are big moments in marriage. There are big sometimes trauma or um, hardship. But really so much of what we're um appreciating right now are, are those little things that have added up over time. And so we thought, okay, why don't we each kind of went to our separate uh, chairs and said, okay, why don't we just sit down and write out those many things that have added up um, to the marriage that we're enjoying at this time. And so we didn't look at each other's manuscripts. He wrote his and I wrote mine. And then we came back together and we read through them and we said, you know what, this, these really are those little things that make a big difference in a marriage. And so many people don't realize that it's, um, it's not as hard as it would seem if you just do one small thing, make one small choice of choosing to love, and start building this positive momentum that over time you look at each other and you go, wow, look at that. We're really, we're really closer, our relationship deeper and richer. It's kind of like so, saving financially, like you put $5 a week away yeah. to start, but it builds and adds yeah. up. <laughs> That's a great analogy because there really is something to that. And then when you do have those big moments, you've built this foundation of loving each other. So it is easier to work through it or walk through it together because you have done those small things, those just little small choices of I'm choosing to love you in this way today. Now, Matt and Lisa, what would you say is the number one way to love either your husband or your wife? Well, the thing is that uh, every relationship is going to be different, right? So there isn't a one-size-fits-all. What we often find are people saying, well, I don't really know where to begin, and I don't really know uh, how to start. And so I would just say to those people, uh, well, of course, we want you to go get the book, 100 Ways to Love Your Wife, 100 Ways to Love Your Husband, but go out on a simple little date and ask your spouse, what are three ways that I could love you better. Three three things that I could do or things I could change that would say, I love you, all right? And so, but for, for Lisa, you know, we, Lisa needs to know, and I don't think this is actually that unique to her, mm-hmm. but she needs to know that I love spending time with her. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that no other agenda, but because of who she is and because how much I love her. I just want to be with her. I want to hang out with her. I want to seek her out. So for us, that's, that's you know, a, a sweet spot in our relationship for me communicating love to Lisa. 
Yeah, and I would say for, again, this is personal now, um, but for Matt, one of the probably a big thing is just communicating that I believe in you and I'm standing with you. Just that utter commitment of loyalty to him is very powerful. It speaks love to him. And that came out of, like Matt was saying, that came actually kind of conversations. I kind of got a sense of that, but really it was through talking that through and realizing that fundamentally that's something that 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 speaks powerfully to him and his heart and how he's made. But for everybody listening, uh, it, it may well be something different. And so get together, have that conversation. It makes a great date night discussion. Matt and Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. How can we uh, keep up with all your work, the podcast, your books, and your ministry work? Absolutely. Well, if people want to check out the podcast, it's Faithful Life Podcast. It's on every podcast platform, so that's available to everyone. And then uh, the books are also available everywhere, whether you like buying from christianbook.com or from amazon.com. They're totally available. If you want to check out our website, faithfulman.com and club31women.com, club31women.com. And some people like Instagram a lot. We're also on Instagram at club31women and at faithfulman. Well, we've heard a lot of great tips and great advice to really help in our marriages and our relationships. Remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation, you can always do that by visiting your radio station's website. We'll talk to you again on Connections.